0: Hello, I'm Harriet Minter, and this is the Badass Women's Hour. On this week's show, the women tackling rape culture on university campuses, a history lesson that turned into a rediscovery of self for one author, and what to do when you feel your boss is belittling you. Now, if I'm being very honest, I feel quite disengaged with the news right now, which is difficult for someone with my job. It also means that I've missed the heroic work being done by a group of women at Warwick University. Protect Warwick Women is a group of students who are staging a sit-in, or, or more accurately a camp-in, because they are camping in the truly horrible weather we're having right now, outside the university union, and they've been doing it since the beginning of March. So the group are calling on the university to review how they tackle rape and sexual assault on campus, and they're refusing to move until their demands are met. And honestly, I think they're rather brilliant. Um, So they want things like further training on how to deal with sexual assault for campus security guards and for students to have an input on staff training, which I think is the bit the university is balking on because they feel, well, they should organize the training and it shouldn't be down to the students to tell the staff how to behave. But quite frankly, I think that Generation Z, is that what they are? Generation Z? Basically just know more about this stuff. They are better. We should be putting them in charge of everything because they are better on it. I personally can't wait until I'm old enough to retire and I can just hand everything over to that generation and they can be in charge of it. This actually isn't the first time Warwick University has run into trouble over how it deals with rape. In 2018, the Chancellor had to apologise to female students after basically a what was called a, quote, rape chat group, unquote, was discovered to be circulating. So this was two guys on the campus who had a chat group where they talked about how they wanted to kind of violently sexually assault various students and they were both banned from the university but then earlier this year uh, another man was accused and I think kind of agreed to be guilty of groping a female student on campus and he was just allowed to continue his studies and so it seems like perhaps Warwick hasn't really been dealing with things in a way that the women on campus think they should be, and so they have taken matters into their own hands. Plus, obviously, everyone's invited. The website that talked about sexual assault in schools has really brought this issue to the fore, and we've got a generation of young women who are just not putting up with this shit anymore. And thank God for that. The sexual politics of your late teens and early twenties are complicated enough as it is without making kind of, "boys will be boys" excuses for the bits that are clearly wrong. So I'm cheering on Protect Warwick's Women this week. They are doing the work that I wish I had been, quite frankly, aware enough to do when I was their age. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. This week's interviewee provided me with a history lesson. Speak Okinawa is the memoir of writer Elizabeth Miki Brinner and outlines her relationship with her mother and her mother's heritage. In this interview, we talk about growing up, quotes, different at a time when homogeneity is prized. And the relationship between mothers and daughters. For people who don't know the history of Okinawa, can you tell us a little bit about it? Oh yes. Um,
1: well, it's a it's an island uh, off the coast of Japan uh, and also off the coast of China. It's about uh, right in the middle uh, uh, distance-wise. And um, at first, it was a uh, a tributary of China for uh, many centuries, and then. Eventually uh, it was colonized by Japan and then uh, annexed by Japan. Um, what most people uh, don't know, so it's currently a prefecture of Japan, but uh, most people are unfamiliar with uh, the, the history of, um, it, of its colonialism and um, it, its colonization. Uh, and um, how devastated it was by the Battle of Okinawa. Um, many people have heard of the Battle of Okinawa, but I don't think they're familiar with just how uh, just immense the, the, the toll was for the Okinawan population. Uh, so it was uh, about one third of the population was mm-hmm. killed uh, um about 140,000 okinawans almost all of them civilians uh there there are very there there may be 20,000 constricted uh um s- soldiers uh fighting so almost all of them were civilians uh children uh and then um the the campaign which was just to uh bomb the island uh just hundreds of thousands of bombs uh, um, to, to demolish the island uh, just it wiped everything out so it um, not a building was left standing there were no trees there were no grass uh, um, the images that I read about it's just the whole island was charred black uh, and so anyone who did survive was um, uh, homeless uh, for many years afterwards and lived in refugee camps uh, uh, including my um, family, my, my grandmother, and my, my mother's uh, older brothers and sisters. Uh, and then after the Battle of Okinawa, that started uh, the period of militarization of uh, the, so the U.S. Uh, occupied Okinawa for about 20 years. And um, it was actually an occupied territory of the U.S. It was returned to Japan uh, in 1972 but the bases still remain. And uh, about 20% of Okinawa's land mass is uh, um, U- U.S. military base.
0: So there's still U.S. military presence there today. Yes,
1: yes, wow. and, and, and it's highly contested too.
0: And so you obviously have a personal connection to this through your mother, but you grew mm-hmm. up in the States. Tell us a little bit about your mother and how she came to be in the States and your childhood.
1: Yeah, um, well, my mother, um, she was working uh, as a, a nightclub uh, hostess. She was a cocktail waitress at a nightclub uh, called the Blue Diamond. And it was uh, stationed, uh, it was right outside the army base. And my um, father was stationed uh, at the Kadena army base. And um, he went to the nightclub that my mother worked at. And this was a nightclub that, that catered to to soldiers that's what that's what it was all about uh, my mom told me that she got paid uh, one dollar for every drink she got a serviceman to buy for her wow. uh, so, yeah i know it's a um an interesting way to <laughs>
0: <laughs> make <laughs>
1: exactly uh and and for you know she grew up in this and and she was very enamored with uh, American culture and the the power and agency it represented, so she 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 liked being around the soldiers. She she thought of it as this kind of a way to escape uh, um, the subjugation of the island. And my father uh, was stationed on the island right after he served in Vietnam, uh, he, he served two, two tours of duty in Vietnam. So he had a lot of uh, trauma and baggage <laughs> uh, as well. And, and so I think when they met each other, they both, you know, my mom wanted to feel safe and protected and my dad want, like really just wanted to protect and save. Uh, uh, that they, so these two mentalities converged. And they met and they married, and uh, shortly after, um, and they married on the island, Mm -hmm. and uh, um, it was discouraged for uh, a military to um, marry natives. But my since my father was a commanding officer, he he signed his own approval. <laughs> so, uh, and and they moved to the United States, and they moved to uh, they 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 hopped around for a while. Uh, at first, they lived in New York City, uh, in my father's childhood home in Manhattan, uh, and then they traveled around uh, as my dad was looking for work. They settled in uh, a suburb of Rochester, New York, in upstate New York, where I grew up, and it was a predominantly white suburb. Um, my mother and I like stuck out like sore thumbs. (laughs) Um, and, uh, yeah. And then I, and that's, and that's how I felt growing up. I just felt, uh, um, very outcasted, uh, and, um, just like, I didn't belong. I didn't fit in. I felt uh, just ex- remember just feeling exposed all the time like everyone's looking at me I mean as children we always feel that way yeah but uh um yeah I felt just very very different from everyone else and I felt that it was I I sensed that it was because of my mother mm. and uh um and I blamed her for it and so I was very estranged from her for most of my life and gravitated more toward my father and.
0: Um- did you actually did you actually experience either racism or bullying when you were growing up or do you think it was more of an internal thing that you felt
1: oh I definitely experienced it um I mean it was so this this is the 80s and 90s yeah. where we don't have a <laughs> didn't have a lot of vocabulary or sensitivity yeah. about the about these issues and I mean a lot of it was just um where are you like, just the yeah. kind of more innocent questions like where are you from are you chinese uh um uh, why is your uh father white <laughs> uh uh but a lot of it was very uh, cruel too I had um I was called um as a child of uh, pejoratives uh my my nickname in middle school was gorilla woman and oh, um nice. uh yeah and they uh, and people would uh, uh, cut out pictures of, uh, um, monkeys and gorillas and, um, put them in my desk and locker. Uh, and, and, and it was very, very painful. And I don't think at the time I realized that it was racist. I just thought, yeah. Oh, it's because it's just because I'm ugly. Right. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I wasn't making the connection as a child,
0: Yeah.
1: but I still subconsciously knew because it, I I lashed out against my mother because of it. I I, um, I, I was still able to make the connections on a very subconscious level but I wasn't allowing myself to understand uh, um, the implications.
0: I think there is something Mm -hmm. kind of universal for mothers and daughters which is Mm -hmm. this point in our growing up where Our mothers have expectations for us. I think particularly, I mean, I think your mum, my mom, probably similar age where, you know, we have access to things that they could only have dreamed of having access to. And so they Mm. want all of that for us. And there's huge huge expectation. And then we feel, as all children do, right, and need to kind of break free from any parental bond. And so we, you know, rebel against it or we don't want what they want or we go against their expectations and their ideas and everything they want is wrong. But how did that play out for you, given the kind of particular circumstances that you found yourself in? Mm -hmm. I mean, my
1: my mother grew up in uh, absolute poverty. Mm -hmm. Uh, She the, the. no no running water um the uh they had to go to a public well or and and, and bathe outside uh, um and so and and, and she just says she remembers just being starving uh um uh, for for most of her childhood just always hungry and so my mother is she want she's so happy to be able to provide a, a better life for me she said so, and and I think it was very confusing to her that I didn't I wasn't happy. you know um, yeah. uh, I was I wasn't a happy child. I took all of it for granted and and she couldn't understand why. She's like, what more, what more could you want? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, ha- I have my own bedroom. I, I have a fully stocked fridge. I have all these things and, and, and so so that so there' was a there's a class issue as well and then also i think she too you know the the, the idea that you have i um with with a daughter of how she's going your daughter's going to complete you right like everything that bad that ever happened in your life you know now i get to redeem it now uh, um and so and and so there was that expectation that, that longing for this bond and this connection that I uh, and for most of my life, i I resented it and i and I rejected it because it it made me feel bad. you know, it it just made me feel uh, uh, guilty and uh, I couldn't I, I I didn't have the capacity yet to um, uh, to connect to connect with her.
0: as a kind of teenager as a young woman what did that mean for you and your life and kind of how you how you approached life mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah
1: oh um I was very I was very rebellious <laughs> um I I was it was very difficult for me to follow rules and and even though my mom was uh just pouring uh of love she loved she loved me so much she tried so hard to, to to be there for me and connect with me but it wasn't the kind of love i wanted i uh um it i i couldn't appreciate the language barrier or the the class barrier the cultural barrier all, all i couldn't appreciate how she couldn't uh Connect with me on my terms. Yeah. So I still, I, I certainly still felt a void. I, I um, you know, my mother and I hardly spoke growing up, uh, and and I think from that void, I was very attention seeking. From, uh, um, from mostly from men. <laughs> I, I uh, yeah, I kind of I kind of uh, threw myself at boys and mm. uh, just vied vied for their attention. Did ridiculous things <laughs> in order to get their attention. Uh, you know very much demeaned myself uh, um, for their approval so I think that 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 uh, that was definitely part of it. Uh, I think
0: Mm as you know we're I think we're lucky now that we live in a generation when people talk about these things where we're aware that actually not everyone has the most perfect relationship with their parents and that that's kind of not really a fault thing it's just how generations interact and what happens um how did you get to a place then of changing your relationship with your mother Mm. or have you oh
1: oh 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 absolutely um we're uh i'm 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 very grateful every day for how we've been able to heal um and you know my we have a, a great relationship and and I, but i'm still very like remorseful for all the time that was wasted i i uh, um it, it took so long and th- there there was beginnings there were little whisperings of it when um, by the time I got to my mid twenties, and I realized how uh, difficult it is to be a woman. <laughs> uh, that it's not, yeah, uh, it, it is not an easy road. And then seeing my mother more as a woman, right? Than my mother, and 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 realizing that so many of the things that she did was was not her fault. It, it, there there were responses. I mean, she she was a um, pretty severe alcoholic uh for a while and that had everything to do with her loneliness and then and her isolation and everything and the way that she had been treated uh growing up a, a cocktail waitress on a <laughs> on a, uh, <laughs> in a at a nightclub outside a military base so um uh so she uh so i I just began to forgive her more for that um and then and then I don't. It, I went to um, when I was 33 years old. I went to Okinawa. Uh, I, I, I took a trip with my parents to visit her um, to visit her family, and that really opened my eyes, just uh, of how amazing and wonderful the the culture is, and also realizing the sacrifice and what she left behind. And, and I started investigating more uh, um, her heritage, my heritage uh, and, and the history. And so I, w- I was 34 years old before I learned the history of Okinawa, which is incredible. I can't yeah, I can't believe that uh, it took that long. Uh, um, and and once and once I understood her history, mm-hmm. I very much began to understand her and myself the, the, re- the reasons why, She's like this. The reason why she was put in this situation of marrying a um, a soldier and moving to the United States. Did she and... ever
0: try and talk to you about her history or her culture? When you were you up? know,
1: she she uh, she tried desperately to talk to me about her personal history, mm-hmm. right her um, her her personal experiences, her family um, her marriage to my father, um, and how complicated it was and very, and very difficult. That was another thing I realized too, as a woman, I'm like, my dad's an amazing father, but (laughs) you know, (laughs) um, you know, you just, just that perspective, but never about actual, um, the, the collective history and the culture. And I think part of it was maybe she didn't think that she needed to because she thought of me as her right she Mm. didn't think that that was something that you had to educate um but i think part of it too with with how okinawa was colonized there's that sense of inferiority and i think that she uh i think she didn't think it was important or that it would um i think it's one of the reasons why I was raised not knowing the the culture or the history or the language is that, oh, all you need to know is English. All you need to know is American culture. That's what's going to uh, get you ahead in life. this other this other stuff isn't important. Uh, I think subliminally, maybe my, my, my all of us thought that. Mm.
0: Um, I think that's oh. so interesting, like recognizing that kind of part of her history had made her maybe kind of dampen down her culture and where she came from and almost you picked up on that and kind of amplified it. Do you think it's important for us as humans to have these moments as you had, you know, in your early 30s when you suddenly went, oh, hang on, this, my parent is a whole person beyond my parent and that explains them. Do you think it's important for us as humans to have that moment of growth?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I don't think that there's, I think if we really want to move forward and, um, not uh, minimize the hurt, mm-hmm. <laughs> the hurt that we feel and the hurt that we cause, uh, you know, it, it's all, it's all cyclical. It all perpetuates, uh, um, it all, it all comes from, um, I feel like it all comes from voids and pains mm-hmm. and, and things and things unresolved. And you keep, and we keep trying to resolve them <laughs> sometimes through our children, uh, um, and, and, uh, and our, and our other relationships, right. Our other, um, uh, uh, not just through our children, but, you know, partners and friends. So I think, I think it's incredibly, incredibly important to see, to understand the people who influenced you most and impacted you the most and try to understand them as, as human beings, uh, on have compassion for them in order to you know have it for yourself and and for other people
0: and you wrote about this experience and this understanding in your book speak okinawa what did the process of writing about it give you
1: mm, the process of, oh god uh this book was it's re, it uh I, I i i i don't know i feel like it in a lot of ways it saved um not be that dramatic, like save my life, but it's, it made it better. It, uh, it made my relationship with my mother better. It made me a better person. Uh, Um, I, uh, I think when you taking the time to write it, uh, um, the, the purpose of writing it, which was to understand why I am the way that I am. (laughs) Um, and, and to finally, uh um incorporate this heritage that I had uh um rejected for so long uh to finally uh integrate it in myself. Uh so and, and the act of writing is so powerful uh because you can you can collect your thoughts, you can hold everything still, you can look at it, make connections. And I don't know if I would have been able to do that without without writing the book. and And because of the book too, i uh, I had to ask my mother a lot of questions and uh, about her life. and it it got us talking. Uh, and it got us comfortable talking with each other. Before then it was I always felt very forced and strained to me. But uh, now that I understand and appreciate so many things about her, I'm I'm very happy just for the small talk you yeah, uh, um, and I realize that the small talk is is code for for so much else. Uh, so uh, it it's yeah, it, it was a great experience. I'm very grateful for it.
0: I think that's a beautiful way of looking at it. actually. We all make small, small talk with our families so much, and sometimes we get frustrated with it, and actually it's it's code for so much more. Elizabeth, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been lovely hearing your story and learning a little bit more about you and your culture and heritage. And Speak Okinawa, a memoir, is out now. Um, just beautiful story and so much more to learn. Elizabeth, thank you. That was Elizabeth, Minky and her memoir, Speak Okinawa, is out now. Now, this week's listener problem is an old-fashioned issue in a new tech world. How do you deal with a boss that's bullying you? Our listener writes, I've always felt a bit left out of my team. We're a small group and there are clear allegiances, but I've also got on well with my boss. He's a bit of an introvert and not the best manager, but our relationship was fine until lockdown. Since we all started working from home, we haven't had one team meeting together. Instead, he talks to us all separately and then sends group emails letting us know what's going on. The problem is that in these emails, his tone can be quite belittling. Recently, he took me off a project and put my colleague on it. And the first I knew about this was when he put me on the group email. I felt embarrassed that he'd taken me off the project. Presumably he didn't think my work was good enough and that he told everyone else before talking to me. I think I need to leave and get another job, but I'm so angry at the way I've been treated that I can't seem to concentrate long enough to fill in a job application. What can I do? Um, I can absolutely understand your anger. And also this is the sort of thing that really frustrates me. And I've seen a lot of in the last year or so, which is companies who don't provide any sort of management training to their managers and who haven't adapted that management training for working from home. So they've just said to managers, carry on as you are, not realizing that actually their managers aren't doing very well as it is put in working from home and they're completely lost. I've worked with companies to try and make this better and you can make it better and you can have people who are really good remote managers, but you have to put training and structure in place for them. So anyway, that's my rant. It's really annoying. It's also really unfortunate because what happens is that great team members end up leaving because of bad management. In fact, we know the number one reason that people give for leaving their job is lack of management or not getting on with their manager. And that's something that can be so easily resolved. But it's not your job to resolve it. That sits with the HR team and management of your boss. But it's your job to try and make yourself feel like you've done something about it. So i totally understand that it feels like the easiest option right now is to just get another job and go somewhere else but you've also got to realize that this here is an opportunity for you to kind of grow and practice being brave at something and that means you have to talk to your boss so get some of those specific examples together things that you feel that perhaps he was belittling you or you felt very uncomfortable with and talk to him about that. Now, when you're talking to him, you probably want to try and take out as much emotive language as you can. So you can say, I didn't feel this was phrased in the best way, or actually I felt really uncomfortable. Or when you said this, I felt as though you were belittling me. So don't say you belittled me when you said this. Say, when you said this, I felt as though what you're doing there is you're giving them the opportunity to say oh my gosh that's absolutely not what I wanted to do thank you so much for pointing it out to me I'm going to change my behavior going forward if you're lucky. In all reality probably they're going to feel quite confronted by it they're going to find it perhaps challenging to have somebody below them challenging the way that they manage but you might find that if they are generally a good boss they use this as an opportunity to try and change so also have some suggestions for how perhaps things could be different so if you think you should be having team meetings, suggest, I think it'd be helpful if we had a Zoom meeting as a team once a week or once a month. And perhaps suggest to them, actually, if you are going to move people around on projects, could you just let them know first and then put it on a group email? Or just move them around on projects. Do we even need to put it on the group email? People like this show up specifically to challenge us and to help us kind of step out of our comfort zone. And if you want to move up in your career, if you want to progress, at some point, you're probably going to have to have difficult conversations with the people you manage. So this is a great opportunity to practice. And then finally, the thing that I noticed about your email was you said, you know, it felt as though perhaps everyone else's opinions are more important than your own. So it felt as though you were saying, I think my boss doesn't think I could do a good job, that perhaps he felt belittled because he'd put this out to the group. I can understand why. Absolutely. But I'd also encourage you to see if you can try and find a place where other people's opinions are less important. So do you think you were doing a good job on that project? Are you happy with your work? Do you think you are a good team member who brings something to the group? Your opinion is more important than your bosses and your colleagues. And when you focus on your opinion of yourself, what that will help is to kind of fill up that level of self-esteem to put into the self-esteem well, if you like. So that actually when you do decide to go and apply for another job and when you're ready to do that, you are going to be doing it from the best possible place and with a belief in yourself. And that means you're more likely to get it. Good luck. Uh, This feels like a really good time to remind everyone that I have a book all about working from home. WFH, How to Build a Career You Love is out now from all fabulous booksellers and tackles exactly these kinds of problems. Hope you've enjoyed this week's show. If you have good news, there'll be another one next week, although slightly different because I'm actually on holiday next week. So you'll be getting some roundup of some brilliant interviews that haven't yet been broadcast. But I won't be doing a listener problem or the news because, well, I'm going to record it early so the news would be out of date. But I'll be back same show the week after. Slightly different show next week. You've been listening to Badass Women's Hour. If you like the show, then help more people find us. You can tag us or talk to us on social media using at Badass Women's Hour. Or you can be really lovely and leave us a review and a rating. Five stars, please. It helps boost us up the podcast rankings and allows other people to find us. We'll be back next week with more badass
1: guests and in-depth chat. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.